48K News. It's one o'clock. I'm Todd Harding. The top stories. Mainland regulators hit the Alibaba Group with a 2.8 billion US dollar fine for abusing its market dominance. The Education Secretary plays down fears the revamped liberal studies subject may lead teachers to inadvertently break the national security law. And Britain and the royal family enter a second day of mourning for the Duke of Edinburgh, who's died at the age of 99. Mainland regulators have imposed a fine of 2.8 billion US dollars on the Alibaba Group for violating anti-monopoly rules. The authority said the giant e-commerce company had been abusing its market dominance since 2015 by preventing its merchants from using other online e-commerce platforms. Alibaba said in a statement it accepted the decision and would implement the rulings. The company has been under investigation since its founder, Jack Ma, publicly criticised China's regulators and state-owned banks in October. Education Secretary Kevin Young has played down concerns that teachers may easily cross political red lines when they teach the revamped Liberal Studies secondary school subject in future. The compulsory subject for secondary four to six pupils is to be renamed Citizenship and Social Development, with more emphasis to be put on the country's development and the basic law. Mr Young says people generally don't have to worry about breaking the national security law if they love the country. He had this to say when asked whether or not teachers could still teach topics such as the Tiananmen Square crackdown and the Cultural Revolution. In terms of any particular subject or issues, whether they could discuss or not, I think that involves a professional judgment of the teacher. And so long as it is within the curriculum framework, and also it could meet the curriculum objectives, and it's suitable for the age group of the students, I think that should be Legislative Council President Andrew Leung says he expects the spectrum of the upcoming council will still be wide and even be more democratic as lawmakers will work towards the same aim of the betterment of society with different political views. On a radio show, he said even until now, the pro-establishment camp has raised voices against bills and, as he put it, sparks fly, proving they're not rubber stamps or doing their job in a slipshod manner. Britain and the royal family are entering a second day of mourning for the Duke of Edinburgh. Prince Philip, who had been at Queen Elizabeth's side for more than 70 years, died peacefully at Windsor Castle yesterday. At midday today, UK time, church bells will toll and a series of gun salutes will take place. The BBC's Johnny Diamond reports. On land, on sea, in the capitals of the four nations and at Royal Navy bases, guns will ring out at midday to remember the Duke of Edinburgh. As well as marking Prince Philip's death, this will be a moment to remember his military service, active service in the Second World War and honorary commands for many decades after it. Later in the day, the palace is expected to release details about the days to come and the Duke's funeral. There will be no lying in state and no state funeral. Buckingham Palace is expected to release details about the Duke of Edinburgh's funeral later today. Original plans had involved as many as 800 guests, but this is likely to change because of Covid restrictions. Overnight, small numbers of mourners braved the cold to lay flowers outside Buckingham Palace and Windsor Castle. Here's the BBC's Adina Campbell. Calls from the government for people to stay away from royal residences because of the coronavirus pandemic have not stopped a steady stream of mourners from turning up at the famous gates of Buckingham Palace to pay their respects to Prince Philip and reflect with others. Security guards are ushering people away from the palace railings once they've left their flowers, candles and messages of condolence, where there are signs asking mourners not to do so. 
The Brazilian President Jair Bolsonaro has condemned the decision of a Supreme Court judge to order an investigation into the government's coronavirus response. Mr Bolsonaro accused Justice Luis Peroso of being a leftist and of covering up corruption in the handling of COVID-related contracts. The BBC's Mark Lowen reports from Sao Paulo. Brazil is in the grip of what a World Health Organization official calls a raging inferno of an outbreak. With COVID deaths exceeding 4,000 a day this week, the country is now the global epicenter and a superspreader of the deadly and far more contagious variant known as P1. Now a Supreme Court judge has ordered Congress to begin an inquiry into the government's response to the pandemic, which is criticized as shambolic due to President Jair Bolsonaro's hostility to lockdowns, mask wearing and vaccines. You're listening to RTHK. The time is coming up to five minutes past one. President Biden has created a bipartisan commission to study possible changes to the U.S. Supreme Court, including the controversial issue of whether to expand the number of justices. During his presidential campaign, Mr. Biden promised to examine court reform amid growing calls from liberal Democrats to realign the U.S. Supreme Court after its composition tilted to the right during Donald Trump's presidency. The European Union's medicines regulator says it's investigating four reports of blood clots in people who've been given the Johnson & Johnson COVID vaccine. It said one had taken place in a clinical trial and three during the rollout of the vaccine in the United States. A forensic pathologist has told the trial of a former policeman in the US city of Minneapolis that George Floyd died because of the way he'd been restrained. Derek Chauvin, whose white was filmed kneeling on the neck of Mr Floyd, a black man, for more than nine minutes. He denies murder. The BBC's Larry Madowa reports. The forensic pathologist Dr Lindsay Thomas said there was no evidence George Floyd would have died if he didn't encounter the police last May. She blamed his death on a lack of oxygen as a result of physical restraint. This point is central to the prosecution's case and Dr Thomas is the fourth medical witness they have called to try to prove it. In cross-examination, the defense is focused on George Floyd's underlying health problems and traces of drugs that were found in his system. Talks on Iran's nuclear program are expected to resume next week in Vienna after delegates from the European Union and Russia said the first week of discussions had been constructive. But Washington and Tehran have disagreed over which sanctions on Iran could be lifted if the latter resumes compliance with the 2015 nuclear deal. A volcano on the Caribbean island of St. Vincent has erupted, sending ash and smoke high into the air. Thousands of residents have been ordered to leave their homes. The BBC's World Grant reports. Images posted online by witnesses showed huge plumes of ash, smoke and volcanic dust shooting several kilometres into the air. The Prime Minister, Ralph Gonsalves, issued an evacuation order to the roughly 16,000 residents living in the areas designated as the Red Zones on the northeast and northwest of the island. A vessel has been dispatched to the leeward side of the island to help facilitate the evacuation. Commercial cruise liners are also assisting, with Royal Caribbean and celebrity cruises saying in a statement that they were sending ships to St Vincent in the Caribbean to evacuate residents. To sports, and we start with golf, where Justin Rose squandered a four-shot advantage, then birdied three of the last six holes to seize a one-stroke lead after Friday's second round of the 85th Masters. 
The 40-year-old Englishman overcame a nightmare start to fire a level past 72 and stand on 7 under 137 after 36 holes at Augusta National. Rose, twice a Masters runner-up, fired a 65 on Thursday to lead by four, matching the largest 18-hole Masters edge since 1941. Will Zalatoris, who could become the first Masters debutant winner since Fuzzy Zola in 1979, and Brian Harmon shared second on 138. To football and the English Premier League, where Fulham's relegation troubles deepened overnight with a 1-0 defeat at home to Wolves. Adama Traore grabbed the winner in injury time. Now for a look ahead to the rest of this weekend's action, here's the BBC's Maz Faruqi. With seven weekends to go in this season's English Premier League, the destination of the title isn't in any doubt, but top four spots and European Champions League qualification are still very much up for grabs. Second place Manchester United's trip to Tottenham with Jose Mourinho's side three points outside the top four then is one of the most significant games of the weekend as is third place Leicester City's at fourth place West Ham where both sides will want to win to open up a gap between themselves and the chasing pack. Fifth place Chelsea and champions Liverpool are both in contention still as well. Jurgen Klopp's side need to overturn their recent poor form at Anfield against Aston Villa whilst Thomas Tuchel will hope for a response from his Chelsea players following their shock defeat to West Brom last Saturday, the first time his side have lost since he took over earlier this year. And expect a warm reception for Marcelo Bielsa at the Etihad on Saturday, where Leeds United play Manchester City. The City boss Pep Guardiola has described his Leeds counterpart as unique and probably the person I admire most in world football as a manager and as a person. City could move 17 points clear at the top of the Premier League with a win. To end the news, the top stories once again. Mainland regulators hit Alibaba with a 2.8 billion US dollar fine for abusing its market dominance. The education secretary plays down fears the revamped liberal study subject may lead teachers to inadvertently break the national security law. And Britain and the royal family enter a second day of mourning for the Duke of Edinburgh, who's died at the age of 99. The news from RTHK. Nineteen eighty five, the bus, my hometown. Cars in a line on a Saturday night 
Eligible to register as electors in geographical or functional constituencies, submit application by the 2nd of May. You should provide true and accurate information. Provide phone number and email address for easier contact by the Registration and Electoral Office. You can submit the application by post, email, or fax or online. If you receive a letter for address checking, reply promptly. For inquiries, call 2891-1001. RTHK Radio 3. We get you talking. Request. Here's a little Bay City Roller. Shang Lang. Maybe. Yes.